I was going to do a a, uh, a final session tonight on the, we've done two weeks on this topic of Christian liberty. And um wanted to kind of sum up it, uh, the uh, where we were at with all of it tonight. And um, I had a couple conversations this last week that opened a, a few other avenues of that study, um, brought it to light as a question or something that some folks were struggling with. And that was on the area of judgment, uh, judging does the Bible give us the opportunity to judge? Does it tell us we ought to judge or ought not to judge? If it tells us to judge, what are we to judge? When are we to judge? How are we to judge? Uh, all of those things kind of open a, a can of worms, if you will, uh, when we talk about Christian liberty, because we found out last week that Paul said uh, in Romans chapter number 8, and when it came to issues of uh, conscience, not things that are black and white in Scripture, and we've clarified that, but when it comes to issues of conscience, that we're not to judge another man's servant. It's okay for us to have a higher standard than someone else or a lower standard than someone else in those areas. But uh, there are things that are uh, specifically taught in Scripture, verbatim. There's no question about it. There's no um, uh, issue of interpretation for the sake of our conscience. Uh, we basically know that's what God said. It doesn't matter whether our conscience is there or not. It's got to be obeyed because it's Scripture. Uh, so we're dealing, and when we dealt with the issue of liberty, we tried to be very clear on that, that we're not dealing with areas of doctrine or specific things stated in Scripture. But we are dealing with things that in, in our day and age, um, different people have different levels of standards, different levels of conviction uh, on certain matters. And uh, those are things that Paul says we're not to judge over. And in doing so, I don't. I hope I did not give the uh, indication. And in, in one of the conversations I had was uh, that uh, the Bible does say that we're supposed to judge, and you said that we weren't supposed to. And I, I, if I did say that as a blanket statement, the Bible does say there are certain things we do have to judge. Um, and so, what I want to do over the next two or three Wednesdays—not tonight, but beginning next Wednesday is uh, deal with the issue of judging according to Scripture. What does the Bible say about it? Once and for all, uh, what matters are we to judge on? What matters are we not to judge on? And when we do judge, how are we to judge? When are we to judge? Who are we to judge? Uh, all of these are questions that the Bible answers, and answers them very, very clearly. And so we're going to put all that together, lay it out in a uh, easily followed lesson, a uh, series of lessons, and uh, hopefully be a help to us. And what happens today is the world uh, grabs one verse of Scripture from Matthew 7, usually. Uh, judge not lest you be judged, you know. And uh, they, they use that to say that there's, we have no uh, right to preach truth. Because if we preach truth and it's against what they're doing, then we're judging them according to them. Can I tell you this, by the way, just to give you a, just this one nugget. When we are preaching truth, we are not judging. Uh, the Bible's the one that's doing the judging. All we're doing is proclaiming the truth. And uh, so if somebody's doing something that's contrary to Scripture, and it's, and it's right there, it's not a preference or a, or, or a personal uh, thing that our conscience has been dealt with. If it's something in Scripture and we teach it or preach it and somebody's offended by it, we're not judging them. In fact, we ought to be doing it in love to try to help them. And so we don't do it in a judgeful way. The Bible's the one that does the judging. 
And so we'll talk about some of those things uh, over the next few weeks. Tonight I want to deal a little bit more with missions for the time that we have left and um, try to give you a few things uh, because here in a, in a, a short while, probably after we get our deacons in place, uh, I would like our church to come up with and have a written missions policy, uh, something that we go by that is a scriptural policy, a guideline, and uh, something that we utilize to help us know when and, and how we're to take care of our missionaries, when to take new ones on, when not to take new ones on, what things we're looking for. And um, I will say this just in passing on that. Uh, a written missions policy is just a beginning of trying to find new missionaries. It's something that is the guideline that we use. The final decision, whether we should take a missionary on or not, of course, always ought to be done as a matter of prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit, provided it falls within the guidelines of Scripture. And I will say this, the Holy Spirit will never, never uh, guide us or cause us to go a direction that would be contrary to His Word. He's never going to do that. And so what the purpose of the written policy is, is to make sure that we... Uh, establish the boundaries of what we believe the Bible to be saying about things in, in areas of doctrine, uh, in areas of practice, uh, in areas of uh, standards for those that are in leadership position, things like that, and saying, okay, these are the criteria that we are looking for. And then, as we find folks that meet those criteria, begin to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance in, uh, in new missionaries. So we'll be dealing with that over the next several weeks. Tonight is uh, just going to be looking at some things from Scripture to try to help us uh, understand some things about uh, missions. Luke chapter number 10, and um, we're going to go down, and, and we're, not going to have, we're probably just going to barely get into the introduction. We've only got about 12 minutes left, but we'll get as far as we can tonight. Luke chapter number 10, and um, we're, we're dealing here with uh, the story of um, the, uh, the Good Samaritan. And what has happened here is uh, a lawyer came to Christ and said, What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus, of course, told him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And then he said, The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, another disciple spoke up and said, Who then is our neighbor? And as an answer, Christ gives this story. And uh, beginning verse number 35, uh, or let's go down verse number 30. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, <coughs> pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And so whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? The Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. The Samaritans were half-breeds, and they were, uh, they were always at odds. In fact, they would go out of their way to make sure 
that they did not um, uh, come across each other's paths. And uh, here's a man that's been beaten. He was in a, a place where he was beaten half to death. And the Bible says that a priest, a, a very religious, devout man, one of the leaders of the religious day, came. And the Bible says in verse number 31 that when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Didn't, didn't pause, didn't, didn't even take time. And I would look at this person and say that the vast majority of Christians today go through their life and I'm not trying to be mean about this, but the vast majority of Christians go through their life never giving a thought about the wrecked and battered lives of those that are lost, that there's something they could do to help them. It's not that we don't know they're there, we do. We're, we're aware of the lost folks. We're aware of their lives being broken and, and ruined and on their way to a devil's house. I don't care how uh, well off they are in, in the world's eyes. You can have folks that are very wealthy, that are very successful according to the world, and the truth is their life is wrecked and destroyed and it's ruined, and they're heading to a place, the Bible says, of destruction. And uh, Christians, the vast majority of Christians, are really like this priest. They know they're there, but they don't, they don't want to concern themselves about them in the area of them doing anything. Now, did that mean the priest didn't give to the poor? Did that mean the priest didn't give to those that were less fortunate, those that were maimed and those that were sick? Oh, he probably did. In fact, if he was a religious leader of the day, no doubt he gave alms for those things. But he didn't have time to be bothered with it. And then comes the Levite. Now, the Bible says this in verse number uh, 32, And likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came... And there's a few extra words in verse 32 that we did not find in verse number 31. The Bible says in verse number 32 that he came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. I don't think any word of Scripture is there by mistake or by accident or just to fill space. Obviously, there was something different in the Levite than there was in the priest. The priest doesn't even pause He's unconcerned. He passes by. He probably thinks, I'll give to the poor this week and that'll take care of it. Somebody else can deal with him. The Levite looks on him. I I like to think this, that the Levite at least had some concern for the fellow. Here he sees a man laying by the side of the road half beaten. And he looks at him and he's concerned for him. By the way, the priest and the Levite, they were of his own kinship. They, they, of all people, should have been the ones to go to his need. Certainly not a Samaritan. Samaritan wouldn't want to do that. But sure enough, we find in verse number 33, but a certain Samaritan came, as he journeyed, came where he was. He wasn't afraid to approach him. And when he saw him, you know, there's a difference between looking at something and seeing something. Some of you wives understand this very clearly when you tell your husband to go get something. And he looks very diligently, but he doesn't see, does he? You ever been there? Some of you men raise your hands. Yeah, I've been there. I've been that way. That means that this Samaritan look, he looked at the man, and his eye affected his heart. He saw the condition the man was in. He saw what was happening there. The Bible says that when he saw him, he had... What's the next word here? 
compassion on him. Can I tell you that the heart of missions is to not have concern for the lost, but to have compassion for the lost. Not to just look at them, but to be moved by them. And part of what we're wanting to do in our church is be involved in missions. I don't want to be a priest who says, well, I'll just drop a little money in the box back there and we'll let the missionaries deal with them. I don't want to be the Levite who walks out these doors and passes by lost people and I'm concerned and I think, boy, somebody ought to reach that person with the gospel. I want to be a Samaritan that looks at them and sees them and is moved with compassion on them. We hear things like Michael and Ruth. We hear things like the Hiltabittles. I watched the video of the Johnsons. wish I could have played it for you tonight. Lord willing, we'll have it next week. He made a statement in this video that I, I, it, just, it struck me to my heart. He said, New York City is one of the most unchurched cities in the United States, probably in the world. When you look at the per capita number of people versus the churches that are there. And he made this statement. He said, it causes me to wonder, if the rapture happened, would they even notice? That could be said of our neighborhood, couldn't it? That could be said of Festus. Would there be enough saved people that would be missing that Festus would sit up and take notice? I uh, have a heart for missions. I've told folks before, and back when I was married, if God had even cracked a window, if my wife had said, I think we ought to go to the mission, and she, we'd already been packed and out the door. First time I ever went on a missions trip. I remember flying off of the island in a DC-3, looking out the window at the church as we flew over it, and weeping. Because of the great work there was to be done. About an hour and a half later, we came flying into Fort Pierce, Florida. The airport was located in the not-so-nice part of town. And as we came in for the landing, I looked out the window. And I began weeping again, realizing that the mission field was just a few miles from my house, just outside my door. And all those years I had sat by thinking, boy, I'd love to be a missionary. I shared with you all here a while back, just a few months ago, I found out that the United States is second in the world as a country that has missionaries being sent to it to evangelize it. We are the second greatest mission field in the world. And all we have to do is step out our door. We don't have to go on deputation for two years. 
We don't have to travel to a foreign field. We don't have to learn a foreign language. We simply have to walk out our door and look and see and be moved with compassion. We'll get into some more things. We may back up our judgment series another week, and I'll finish this up next week. We'll give you some more things regarding the purpose of missions, uh, the pattern, the priorities of missions, motivation of missions, why we do it. We'll deal with a lot of those things uh, next next week, and I think they're very important as we pray about and uh, seek some guidance on a written missions policy that we follow scriptural and biblical methods in it. Folks, thank you for being here tonight. It's been a joy. It's been an absolute joy having our folks back here, and we thank you for coming out and being faithful on a Wednesday night. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And uh, then take time to fellowship. I'm going to go ahead and slip out after the prayer. But uh, take time to fellowship. You don't have to rush, and we'll turn the lights out and lock the doors later when I get back home. But uh, thank you all for coming and being here tonight, and uh, it's been such a joy to hear what God's been doing. Father, we're so thankful uh, for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless it and use it in our hearts and our lives. Lord, the truth is who our neighbor is, who, who the mission field is, who the person that needs our compassion is. He's the one that's right outside our door that's hurting. Lord, I'm thankful for people like Michael and Ruth that go to Brazil and learn two languages in some cases. They have to get accustomed to the culture. They have to introduce themselves to the people. I'm thankful for folks that will go and sacrifice the comforts of home, the love of family, and the closeness of being around them. They'll give of themselves to reach people who otherwise would never hear. We're thankful for the Johnsons and the Hiltabittles and so many of our other missionaries that are serving in a field and a labor of love. Lord, may you stir that kind of evangelistic compassion and love in our hearts, in this church, in these areas that we live in, the communities that we are around all the time that we would be moved with compassion as we see the lost. I pray that you would help us in the days and weeks and months ahead as we focus on our missions program to help us not just be a missions-minded church in that we give money or that we have a lot of missionaries that we support, but, Father, that we would be a missions-minded church in that we get involved with our missionaries, that we support them and undergird them and edify them and encourage them that we become co-laborers with them. And while they labor on the field, that we would labor here at home alongside of them in a common goal and a common purpose of reaching people with the gospel. Bless us as we're dismissed and give us safety on our way homes. Help us this week to find opportunities and things that you allow to happen in our lives that would give us a prime opportunity to share the gospel with someone. And so, Father, help us in these areas, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.